There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you? Hey there, all you cats and kitties. Ring-a-ding-ding. Bend an ear and pick up what the chairman of the board is putting down. Dig me? You know what's completely square? Cuckoo communism. That's what, Clyde. No, no, it's not the ghost of Frank Sinatra here, although my absolutely flawless impression of him could certainly fool anyone. It's the final installment of our Conspiracy Series. And we're going out with a bang, a bang called The Manchurian Candidate, a movie that even if you haven't seen, we're betting you have some idea of the central idea of the movie, the hypnotically pre-programmed assassin. But hey, we've got Frankie Sinatra, Janet Leigh, Angela Lansbury, for crying out loud, and Henry Silva, for all your Silva needs. (laughs) I have many... (laughs) Stare at this queen of diamonds and obey, 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 by listening to our scintillating discussion. We're your hosts, members of the famous gerbil pack, Max Dino the Dinosaur Levine and Mike Luce Davis Jr. Jr. Swing, baby! Yeah, it's it's a real cuckoo happening thing where this show we're doing, and that is the worst attempt at Sammy Davis Jr. That was Sammy ever. Davis. I thought that was Paul Schaefer. <laughs> I don't even think it's Paul Schaefer Jr. If any such a thing could occur, apparently not gay. Isn't that weird? Okay, it's very surprising. But before we get to that, we have our poll question. Poll question. Has there ever been an actor that you thought was too good-looking for the part they were playing? We're talking Brad Pitt as the nerdy kid or Scarlett Johansson as the Star Trek geek. And uh, some of you had some very strong opinions about this. Indeed. Uh, Chrissy Becker said, Personally, I think they gave Ted Bundy too much credit when they cast Zac Efron? (laughs) Really? Because Bundy was supposedly considered extremely good-looking. I did not know they had Zac Efron play Ted Bundy. I know they Mark Harmon did. Have you ever been to Zac Efron? I have not. <laughs> Sorry, that's I, deeper. <laughs> that really is. Uh, Nick Hoffman said, I always thought to, Hugh Jackman was too pretty and way too freaking tall to play Wolverine. Well... I'm going to disagree off, with but, Nick. Yeah. I appreciate his opinion, but I yes... Uh, originally Wolverine's supposed to be like five six. He's supposed to be very short, fire pluggy. Short and but wide, yeah. Honestly, with the mutton chops, I think Hugh Jackman looks exactly like Wolverine. And um he's really kind of pretty too. Um <laughs> uh, so yeah. sure. I get it. But I I Yeah, I we'll think just it have worked. to agree and I would be surprised if they could have gotten a better one. Steve yeah. Kellner says Robert Redford again <laughs> harking back to last week as John Dortmunder in the hot rock. And hmm. I got, I absolutely, Dortmunder, I think it's supposed to be this very unremarkable looking guy. That's sort of his thing. And uh, Robert Redford kind of stands out. Well, even in Three Days of the Condor, they did that thing where, um, uh, put glasses on him. Yeah, that'll, yeah, that'll yeah. work. And it's like, and he takes them off halfway through the film anyway. So it's like, okay. Uh, Adam Mark says, Anne Hathaway in her ugly duckling phases at the beginnings of both The Princess Diaries and The Devil Wears Prada. Her um, classic beauty and figure cannot be maimed, homely, or dowdy. It just doesn't work. Yeah, I, I got to agree with that. It's, it's true. Look how it's like, ugly she is. Oh, look, look. Her socks are falling down, and her <laughs> skirt is kind of mismatched. Yeah. Wow, what a monster. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson, amazing actor or hideous freak. You decide. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, yep. Uh, Regan McStravick says, Audrey Hepburn in Sabrina. Also, I realize this is more of a personal taste thing, but I've always thought Janine Garofalo is freaking gorgeous. You are not alone. Uh, <laughs> which makes the truth about cats and dogs a little bit hard for me. Yeah, that again, that's supposed to be a Cyrano de Bergerac story where, you know, the hideous deformity that Cyrano has of his giant nose here is translated to Janine Garofalo's Huge, beautiful brown eyes and full lips. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, and Audrey Hepburn, forget it. I mean, yeah, but I don't. She, she, yeah, sit, come on. It's like, Just, oh no, I am, I am so very unattractive. 
No, well, you look like you need a sandwich, but no. <laughs> Dave, Dave gives us one of the more unique answers. Oh, Margaret Dumont comes to mind. <laughs> Margaret Dumont, who, uh, if you all Marx Brothers fans will know, played the sort of sturdy dowager woman who is the foil for Groucho in most of the movies. I believe the word's matronly. One of the reasons she she was so good at it, she never cracked a smile. She never lost it when he was doing his routines. Apparently, she did not think he was funny (laughs) at all. And then Dave goes on to to quote a bunch of their dialogue, which I'm sorry, I I have to read some of. Groucho, I suppose you'll think me a sentimental old fluff, but would you mind giving me a lock of your hair? Dumont. The luck of my hair? Why, I had no idea you... I'm letting you off easy. I was going to ask for the whole wig. <laughs> I, it, 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 he quotes a bunch of them, and they're all brilliant, but uh, interesting choice. Margaret Dumont, just too good looking. Not um, something I'd heard before. No. And we'll uh, never hear again. Yeah. <laughs> Helen Hegarty uh, says, Kira Knightley as Elizabeth Bennet in Pride and Prejudice. Oh, yeah. It's just silly when Darcy refers to her as plain. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of a problem when her older the, her sister Jane, played by was I think it's Rosamund Pike, is supposed to be the pretty one, standing next to Kira Knightley. Like, really? Mm. Val Coons says, "Geez, there are far too many to mention. How many movies are there where a plain Jane takes off her glasses and it's is suddenly gorgeous, or a nerd is ripped? Howard Bannister had sculpted abs and a deep tan. Really?" Those are insulting enough, but when an actor uglifies themselves to portray an average character, it really ruffles my feathers. I bet there are thousands of very talented actors who aren't glamorous who could play those parts, but no, Hollywood thinks we'll only buy tickets to see the beautiful people. Ah, I'll get off my soapbox now. Well, it is, it reminds me of that quote from Dorothy Parker, you know, Hollywood's idea of an ugly girl is a beautiful girl with glasses. Yeah. And the guys get away with this a lot more. I mean, I will go and see Steve Buscemi in almost anything because he is a really good actor. He's terrific. Not easy on the eye, but that's fine. I don't classically handsome. John C. Riley. Yeah. Same thing. Not classically handsome. Um, Gary Oldman, honestly, I think you could say he's average looking. He's pleasant. But that is so not why I go see him. Yeah. The women don't get nearly as much of a chance if they're not quote unquote beautiful, which is a damn shame. Unless they're playing like caricatures or weird character parts. And close with uh, Pete Krychek says in the 2004 movie The Passion of the Christ, they cast Monica Bellucci as Mary Magdalene. Yeah, yeah. There isn't enough dirt on this planet to cover up the beauty of that woman, and so every scene she was in was just hilarious. You could almost hear the director yelling, "Cut more dirt on Bellucci!" <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although I don't know, understand why they felt the need to have somebody in that role be portrayed as dirty or ugly like um that didn't sound at all well, it's supposed to be ugly but, okay. but you know it was the year nothing so every you know, not no, every beauty week. hadn't been invented yet no, is that what you're hygiene saying hygiene hadn't oh yeah that's, that's fine yeah and um, she does look both she looks too elegant monica yeah. Bellucci, but for anyway so yep so thank you very much for those answers yes. mike uh, what what what's your what do you think is just I know you you thought uh, that about Robert Redford in Three Days of the Condors. Anybody else? Uh, I mean, there's certain actors that, unless they're playing the you know strong chinned hero, they kind of just don't make sense as anything else really, unless they're wearing ridiculous like mounds of makeup and appliances. I don't know that I have anybody that's leaping to mind, but certain pretty people. It's just like Tom Cruise, although he's. His prettiness has has morphed into something different, and I just find I, I just generally find him annoying because he all he wants to do is save the world, and we're supposed to think he's so wonderful. Um, and he runs but I totally, a lot. Yeah, and I <laughs> go 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 now now now. I know that's that's <laughs> sleepy Labeef, but yeah yeah. Um, I just I'm with my sister. It's like you can't have plain looking people because of and I and I also understand the other side of it because a lot of times movies are a fantasy. Yeah, you and. Well, 
we want to think ourselves looking more attractive than we do, unless we're those people. And who knows, maybe even they have, you know, hang ups about the way they look. I don't oh, know. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they I've do. never been attractive, so I would know. <laughs> yeah, likewise. But how, I mean, how could you not, especially when you, uh, these famous people who have millions of people criticizing every pore on them. Of yeah. course they're going to have issues, but. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, I guess I don't have a particular, but the whole. Let's throw some glasses on them. Because, yeah. of course, you know, the, the, actually the stigma of the glasses has so changed from when you and I were young. It used to be, oh, four eyes. Right now now people yeah. actually get them to look smarter. Yeah. And Even like, if they don't okay. need them, they get them with plain glass. Yeah. And also, it doesn't work. As soon as you talk, we know. Yeah. But uh, how about you? Uh, the one that leaps to mind for me, and it's, it's true, a I, I agree with a bunch of the ones that came before, you know, Anne mm. Hathaway in particular, but the one that always came to mind for me and this is only one of the things that is wrong with this movie that I think we're going to have to do at some point, just because it's one of the ones that makes me want to bite through a phone book. Mm -hmm. Hackers. Angelina <laughs> Jolie in Hackers. I'm in! <laughs> they give her a terrible haircut and some you know, punk clothes, and we're supposed to, oh yeah, this is a disaffected nerd. It's like... No, it's not. It's Angelina Jolie, and every man in that film would be prostrate at her feet. Yeah, I mean, you could even say Keanu Reeves in, in Matrix is the same thing. It's like, wow, that is the best built, best dressed, <laughs> nicest looking hacker I've ever seen. Not to say the hackers are ugly, no. but they tend to be focused on what they do, and that's why they're so good at it, which doesn't, intend, doesn't generally mean they go out a lot. Honestly, and none of the people in that movie look like hackers for the, no. they, they have tans they, they're in their fit it's i'm sorry i know that <gasps> nowadays, a sale on hot topic <laughs> <laughs> nowadays i know that's not true there are a lot of hackers who also like are rock climbers and god knows what but sure this no that that that, that was kind of a problem yeah, for us average-looking people, it's tough when they're like the representation is the guy who dies in the first five minutes of the film yeah. because he's too ugly to live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thanks yep. for all your answers. We they love your answers. Bumpy bucks all around. Lots of bumpy bucks. We'll uh, just hand them out like candy. But Max, yeah, we need a new question, and there's only one person who can give it to us. Oh, Bumpy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, his question every week is the same thing. Hmm. Which so means, where's me the damn oats? Yeah, someone <laughs> who can answer that. Uh, yeah, now this one, what on-screen romantic couple do you think has the worst, most unconvincing chemistry? Hmm. Besides me and Mike. <laughs> we're not on screen. Technically, well, no. <laughs> no, we're, we're on air, yeah. I guess. So, yeah. But we'll come back to that along with the methods by which you can answer at the end of the show. Yeah, but I bet we got something else coming up next. What's we that? We do. Trivia. Facts. Budget, $2.2 million. That's actually a lot for 61. Yeah, I should point out, it's uh, 62, but I should point, point out that $1 million of that went to Frank Sinatra. I see. And 200000 of it went to the other guy. Sorry, Lawrence Harvey. We'll get back so to him. That left $1 million for the entire rest of the movie. Uh, Interesting. Okay, so now, okay, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, this was nominated for, oh yeah, by the way, the global take on this, like I say, 2.2 million. Global take, 2.7 million. Wow, really? Yeah, did not do well. Huh. Interesting, because it's kind of a legendary movie. Yeah. I do know, well, this may come in the trivia or not, but or, or maybe it will, maybe it won't, but I know this was, like a lot of films would make some money back when they'd get shown on TV. And, yeah. Uh, is there any trivia about that? There's a little bit of trivia about that. All right, then I'll leave it until you get to it. The topic of the movie was considered so politically sensitive that it was censored and prohibited just before the theatrical release in a lot of the former Iron Curtain countries, Poland, mm. Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Bulgaria, and even in some of the neutral countries like Finland and Sweden. The theatrical premiere for most of these countries came after the fall of the Soviet Union in 93. Wow. Yeah. Th this kind of surprised me because Sinatra had kind of a reputation. Really? For being kind of a pain in the ass to work with. What? Yeah, I know. It's shocking, isn't it? A, a viciously tempered, manic depressive, uh, heavy drinker. He was manic depressive? Yeah, very likely. Oh. He described himself that way. Oh. 
Hmm. Uh, but in spite of his reputation, he turned out to be apparently a really hard worker, pleasant, cooperative. John Frankenheimer, who was the writer, producer, and director, called him one of the most charming human beings I've ever met. Janet Lee was friends with Sinatra before the filming, but she was still kind of nervous because of the stories she'd heard. And she thought he was a very caring, giving actor who was willing to rehearse indefinitely, take directions, contributing ideas. Wow. The, right, the writer and producer George Axelrod said he was a dream to work with. Mm. Yeah. Well, that'll now, never happen again. Having said that, ah. according to both to George Axelrod, Frank Sinatra had some demands. Uh, all of his scenes had to be scheduled up front and shot in 15 days. Before he left the set, he announced that he would have to see every bit of footage he was in. Frankenheimer said, you can see it all, except the complicated, multi-perspective brainwashing sequence, which hadn't been edited. But Sinatra insisted, quote, in a voice where you felt kneecaps were going to be broken, unquote, <laughs> Axelrod said. Uh, to accommodate Sinatra, Axelrod and the editor, Ferris Webster, went through the shooting script and noted where all the cuts should be, then Webster put it all together so Sinatra could see it. Wow. According to Axelrod, the sequence was cut for that purpose and made into the finished movie unchanged. Wow, all this and brown M&Ms. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> yeah, he was apparently, like I say, very well behaved, except one day he threw a total tantrum to which allegedly Lord Harvey walked over to him and said, Oh dear, having our period, are we? <laughs> which apparently shut him up. <laughs> Uh, Janet Lee, and this is, by the way, uh, I agreed with her. She found the role of Eugenie Rose Cheney one of the most difficult she had done because, as she says, the character was plunked down in the middle of the script with no apparent connection to anyone, transmitting non sequiturs while sending meaningful rays through her eyes. <laughs> but she was proud of her work and credited Frank Sinatra and John Frankenheimer with helping her achieve it. Modern interpretations, this hasn't been confirmed, suggest that Eugenie was maybe supposed to be a double agent, but this was never developed in the final version. Yeah, we'll get back to her. Yeah. Dame, the late Dame Angela Lansbury, was only three years older than Lawrence Harvey, who played her son. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. We'll come back to her, too. Yeah. Frank Sinatra broke the little finger of his right hand on the desk in the fight sequence with Henry Silver when he does the hi-ya and chops the desk. <laughs> uh, I believe the quote is, Aki-saki, ha! <laughs> yeah, I believe that's right. Due to ongoing filming commitments, he couldn't rest or bandage his hand properly, which made the injury heal incorrectly, as apparently it caused him chronic pain for the rest of his life. Huh. The scene where Lawrence Harvey literally jumps in Central Park Lake was shot on February 12th, the coldest Ooh. day in 30 years. Ooh. They had to break the foot-thick ice <laughs> on the lake with a bulldozer before they could shoot the scene. Wow. You know, okay. Hats off to Lawrence Harvey, because that's friggin' dedication. <laughs> I would actually love to have seen him just do it and then just bounce off the ice. That would have been funny. <laughs> <laughs> One of these sort of minor characters uh, is... The, the psychiatrist is played by Joe Adams, and that he was the first black actor cast in a part that wasn't specified in the script as black. Oh, yeah, good for him. The, there is a myth about this movie that is not true, that, that it was pulled from circulation after the assassination of JFK. Coincidence? No. Yes. It made its American television debut on CBS Thursday Night Movies in 1965 uh, and was repeated on that network later that season. Only when the rights reverted to Frank Sinatra in 72 did this movie disappear from view. Although even then it would show up for a third and fourth network view showing on NBC in 74. What was, uh, you had something about uh, the, the take? Just that, just that, that it, it was a film that just disappeared, like you couldn't see it on television. And actually, I don't even think it was being shown in repertoire uh, theaters either for a really long, like it was a film that people knew about but couldn't see. That's all yeah. I knew about it. Uh, Frank held on to it with both hands for some reason. That is weird. Uh, yeah. The United Artists chief, Arthur Krim, initially wanted nothing to do with this movie, calling it irresponsible and too incendiary. So, 
Now, talk about going up the chain. Frank Sinatra then went to his good friend, President Kennedy, <laughs> whose 1960 campaign had benefited from the $2 million Sinatra reportedly raised, and possibly a few other things. Oh, uh, the chief executive had loved the book. This was based on a novel by the same guy who wrote Princey's Honor, Condon, mm. Mm. and was interested in who, in who had been cast as the mother. Uh, with Kennedy's blessing, Krim withdrew his objections, and United Artists agreed to release the movie. Uh, how after, however, after 10 years, full release rights reverted back to the production company, MC Productions. That Which was Sinatra's company. Sinatra. Yeah. Wow. Rosie's okay. number that she gives out a bunch of times, Eldorado 5, blah, 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 what used to be a telephone company test number that would always give anyone who used it a busy signal. However... Hmm. As of 2009, this number is active in at least one area code. You'll huh. have to find that out yourself. Call Good all luck. of them. Start now. Well, New York has how many? Okay. Uh, it doesn't even say it was in New York. It's the well, uh, string of it, numbers after the five. That uh, Well, we know it was because that's where they were. Yeah, yeah. Now, this surprised me. You know who Frank Sinatra wanted to play Ma, uh, Ma Isolin? You know, the one Angela Lansbury part? Lucille Ooh. Ball. Uh, you wouldn't, know, and that it actually an... makes a weird kind of sense. Yeah? Well, so there's a very, um, it turns out, apocryphal story that she tells about how she helped root out a Japanese spy ring in L.A. Oh, wow. Because she kept receiving signals through fillings in her teeth. Oh, wow. So that, something, you... that actually happened? I always thought that was just, you know, crazy people. No, she told the story. Like, I've seen her tell it on The Tonight Show, but it turns out, like, they, I think they actually did it at Mythbusters. Is like, there's no way for you to receive signals on your teeth and yeah. actually be able to hear them or anything like that. But she claims she did yeah. and that she helped. So I can kind of yeah. see it if you stretch, if you pull Stretch Armstrong's arms yeah. really, really far, then I can kind of see it. Uh, there's a bunch of other stuff, but uh, I think that's good for us. Sure. I think that we should have a story. Yes, the plot. Mm. Meet Raymond Shaw, hero of the Korean War, awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor, savior of his men, beloved by all. But is any of that true? Well, no, as we find out. Shaw and his men were not pinned down in any cinematic firefight, but rather captured, flown to evil stand, and subjected Manchuria. to Manchuria. Uh, whatever. <laughs> and subjected to horrific and nearly magically effective brainwashing designed to make Shaw's squad mates present him as a hero and show himself to be turned into a hypnotized assassin by evil communists. Because the most dangerous assassin is one who doesn't even know he's an assassin. We know this from the Naked Gun movies. <laughs> which would come in I about must, 25 years. I must kill the queen. Shaw <laughs> is carefully groomed to kill a presidential candidate to uh, elevate to power his own stepfather. Is his mother, Lady Macbeth, I, I mean Angela Lansbury, <laughs> involved? At first, only one man suspects anything. Major Ben, old blue eyes, Marco a squad mate who is beginning to recover his memories of torture and brainwashing only through his dreams. Love interests appear, plots and counterplots are plotted and counterplotted, and we see the terrifying power of playing cards. The film. Wow, really? You're going to blame this on playing cards? They're evil! Evil! <sighs> Yeah, okay. Marsha, Queen of Diamonds, watch yeah, out yep. for her. Exactly. Yeah. God, boy, this is a deeper week. Um, <laughs> my first note was, hey, old Grey Eyes is back, because of course the film's in black and white. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure why. It, it works very well. I mean, Frankenheimer works well in black and white. But Frankenheimer, too, they could have done it. Yeah, you know, we're, we're still in that time period where it's like, uh, is this going to be a really major motion picture? Uh, we'll do black and white. It's uh, cheaper. Um, and, and it is cheaper. Before we get to the uh, the actors, as we often get to first, the one of the first scenes, all I could think of was, it's Rosie's bar, except probably how it really looked, yeah. as opposed to the way yeah. it looked unmashed. Very much um, so. Yeah, you know. It's you basically call me inside. Yeah. Okay. Me but love we have you a long time? Yeah, kind of. Pretty much. Like, that's, 
Yeah, that's probably yeah. true. But the thing that got me was, oh, Henry Silva is supposed to be Korean. Sure. Oh, boy. Well, and he's doing a Japanese accent badly. Well, we, we get a lot of that in this film. One of my notes was that the stereotype, so we, and we're skipping a little bit ahead, but yeah. when you see some of the scenes of the supposed brainwashing and or its effects, you know, in front of a group of evil communists, the stereotypes they're playing are often played so strangely that we can't tell where they're actually supposed to be from. I think that's intentional. Evil Stan, really. Yep. Yeah, well, except we're much. in the middle of the Cold War. There's no reason we wouldn't call out, you know, the evil quote unquote Russians or the evil quote unquote Chinese. And the guy who's like the main doctor, it's like, I guess he's Chinese, but I'm betting he's one of those actors that occasionally played Mexicans or Native Americans. Yeah, um, well, that guy, uh, hit, I'm going to get his name wrong. It's hard to, it's yeah. Keeg Dig. Yeah. And he was from New Jersey, but. Uh, <laughs> of course. Yeah. But, tech, yeah. but yes, he was of, I believe, Chinese descent. Okay. And I, when we get to the acting, he, I want to talk about him. Well, why don't we? Okay. Because um, we have quite the cast here. We and and right, at the, cast. right at the top of the pack where he's supposed to be is Ring old Frank ding, himself. Ding. Yeah. So Frank, Frank has... Oh, that voice, I'm dying. Um, it's been a long time since that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is the begin, like not the beginning, beginning, but this is like right in the middle of Rat Pack territory, right? This, this is, is pretty, yeah. This is peak Rat Pack of '62. Uh, he may have had been snubbed by JFK at this point, but yeah, he is still very much the chairman of the board. Yeah, all the other, you know, Dino, Sammy, Joey, they're all around. He couldn't have been too snubbed because he got JFK to help him make the movie. Yeah, so maybe yeah. during the movie, I don't know. Frank, I'll have to say, all things considered. Except for the apparently huge amounts of necessary sweat applied to Mr. Sinatra all <laughs> the, pretty much all the time. Lip. My God, yeah. does his upper lip sweat a lot. Oh, this yeah, is a that, very sweaty movie. People it is sweat especially. <laughs> well, at least, excuse me, the men all sweat. Women, as we know, don't sweat. They, no, they glow. glow. Yes. And thankfully in this film, they don't even do that. Yeah. I gotta say, I think Frank does a pretty good job. He, yeah, he does a decent job at it. I don't find him too Sinatra-y at all. He, nope. I don't feel like he's strutting around and trying to be all Mr. Cool or anything. In fact, most of the time his character is on the edge of going nuts. And it's not that, you know, over the top, I really don't know what insane looks he like. He only nuts. slips once, and that's what he refers to, that Chinese cat. <laughs> does he say that? that? He does. He <laughs> says, that Chinese cat. And I'm like, all right, you, you, that was, you had lived that. And they left it in because that, he yeah. sounded very French. But that, it, I noticed that only because it stood out because he doesn't do that in the rest of the movie. Yeah. But I, you know, all things considered, I think it's a pretty solid performance by Frank. And it's not. It's not really that Sinatra-ish, which, yeah. you know, can be a good thing. Like, Ocean's Eleven, he's strutting around like he owns the place. And yeah. He's basically acting exactly well, like the way you would. that was a vanity project. That's, I mean, that but was that's their what you expect themselves. from Frank, Yeah, right? except if you ever see uh, From Here to Eternity, he the guy actually has some acting chops. Right, and I think they're on display here. I think they actually... Um, and I like Frankenheimer as a director. I have I he's one of those directors that I realize after the fact that I've seen and liked one of his films. One of the more recent ones was Ronin, which I saw in the theater yeah. and really liked. And that some people didn't like that film. I thought it was really tight. I was interested. You brought some great actors together like um yep. Robert De Niro and do, John Renault. Yeah. So yeah, but, I think Frank does a pretty good job. Lawrence you, Harvey. Yeah. I actually only know Lawrence Harvey Harvey from a Columbo episode. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know him at all. I didn't recognize this guy from, uh, from anything. Yeah, I think he does a great job. And I want to say that of the actors in this film, he's in the top two. There's another person that I would put up there as having really strong performances. Yeah, I bet I know who. I bet you do too, and yeah. there's a reason for that. I fully buy him as a yeah. character, and I love the fact that under hypnosis, everyone says, oh yes, Raymond Shaw, he's the best person I've ever met. He's a great, kind, loving guy. I love him like a brother. And they say and, it using exactly the same phrases. It's so creepy. Yeah, but then at one point Frank says, wait, 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 like the guy, he's impossible to like. Yeah, and when nobody you likes see, him. He's a and he admits that. 
Yeah. Shaw says when he's drunk, actually, that's one time I like him. He's drunk, like, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm completely unlovable. I mean, you no. don't. Den- I like, he goes, don't deny it. Frank's like, I'm not denying it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's yeah. a great range with Lawrence because we get yeah. the Shaw that we're supposed to think is a great guy. We get kind of lost, and I don't know what's going on, Shaw, who's trying to rebel against his mother. And then we we get the zombie Shaw who's you know, struggling with the fact that he's this uh, assassin and doesn't even know it. So I think Lawrence Harvey does a yeah, great job. He's in terrific. This. Uh, um, let's let's get to the other big yeah, one. That's got to be Angela Lansbury. It is. I mean, she won an Oscar for the role. So, oops, uh, surprise. No, uh, she no, did. she she didn't. She was nominated. She no. This film was nominated for two Oscars: best editing and best supporting actress, and it didn't win either. Oh, because I looked it up and it said nope. that she did. Oh. I, she's fantastic. She's, if you've ever, she is sit- so awful. In, I mean, awful in that just you want, you want the character to die. She's so, and it's so strange because she is so good at being adorable and likable and warm. Even when she was when she was younger, she still had that sort of oh, come here, I'll make everything better. And in this, it's like. Gah! I would say if you think you know Angela Lansbury, even if you've seen her oh. in, I, they did a televised version of um, um, Demon Barber Fleet Street. Um, oh, Sweeney uh, Todd. Sweeney Todd. Yeah, she's of, which she had a part that. Yeah, yeah, even if you think you know her, either for that or more likely for murder she caused, you do <laughs> not know Angela Lansbury. Because, <laughs> dear gods, is she good in this? She is so good. She's manipulative. She is overbearing. Oh, she is elegant. Mm-hmm. She is frightening and she i don't know i would she's a surprise because yeah. again i don't didn't think i really i thought i knew her and i obviously didn't it does surprise me that she's literally only a, like a year or so older than yeah. <laughs> okay yeah does make the scene where she's kissing him on the mouth even creepier oh we're gonna get to that we're coming yeah, back to that because that's the, actually that's the judas kiss but yeah no, it. We'll get to that. That th- this is from the book, and it's actually a lot more in the. Well, let's get to it now. Okay. So in the book, yeah. Apparently, at one point, um, their relationship is not exactly the same as it is in the movie. Apparently, oh, at one point in the book, they yeah. get in bed together. Oh. Yeah. And they, um, yeah. Oh, so, oh, oh. Yeah. All right. I'm glad yeah. they kind of left that out because that would just be completely wreck the focus. Yeah. James Get Gregory, uh, he's a character actor. Yes. You probably know him as Inspector yeah, Luger Inspector from Barney Luger. Miller. Yeah. I gotta say, I think although you when you hire James Gregory, you pretty much get James Gregory. He's a I cartoon. Think he actually in fle- this. He's a cartoon. I, I, he's not. He's not a fleshed out character, but he does what he's supposed to do. You, I think he actually shows more range in this than he generally does because uh, he's got that whole bluster thing, but he also has this yes, dear side to him, yeah, which you don't is, generally see. He is so clearly a puppet. Of uh, Shaw's mother. I mean, right. He's basically Mister Mister Shaw. They just don't say that. Well, and he's also representing somebody that was in oh, power yeah. not that much earlier than yeah, this film he's was. He's supposed made. to be Joseph McCarthy, right down yep. to the fact where he's waving a list of uh, he's a known communist working in the defense of two hundred and seventy-five. Uh, known communist. Maybe it was 74. Maybe it was 50. 140. At one point, he even says 57, which I believe was the number that McCarthy first used. And again, McCarthy's number changed all the time. Well, and you realize why they picked 57, right? Uh, probably not. Because Angela Lansbury is looking at him with a ketchup bottle. Because oh, he I'm says at one point he's pleading okay. for it with her. So can yeah. we please just pick a number? I look like an idiot out there changing my mind all the time. And they show him putting ketchup on a steak. And the next number he gives is 57. Uh. So it's like, okay. But it's interestingly, I thought this is, and this is, takes us out of the acting a little bit. But I thought it was very interesting that they were willing to basically indict McCarthy so soon after the whole McCarthyism trial. You have to understand, at this point, that was not a pretty safe bet because the Army McCarthy hearings had already happened, and we'd already had the, when it comes down to it, Senator, have you no decency? And he had taken on the Army, and the Army said, <laughs> no, stop! The hearings went on into the 60s, but he had lost most of his power by then, and he was starting to become a punchline. But people were still going by the blacklist in Hollywood. Like they were still Hollywood going was, on. The Red Scare so was still happening. Yeah, That's why I think it's interesting that this 
it's a very, very clear, everybody knew it was supposed to be McCarthy. It was like, there wasn't even a veil yeah. and it was still a major motion picture in 62. So that I found interesting because usually you don't see a turnaround that quickly, that blatantly. So yeah. I want to give them a little credit for that. Then we have to deal with the evil that is Henry Silva because, <laughs> um, oh dear. Henry Silva's always a bad guy and here That's, he's Chinese. I yeah. I did not no, realize this. You know, he only died a couple of months ago. Oh, really? He was 95. Oh. He died in September. Oh, cripes. He's usually a heavy because yeah. he's got that menacing face. By the way, he is of Spanish and Portuguese descent. Which, if, of course, if, makes perfect Chinese. If, yeah, if, Korean. If, you're, if you're keeping track at home, because he's one of those guys, like for some reason, Robbie Benson, who is basically, huh, <laughs> we, need, we need an ethnic person. Uh, yeah, Robbie Benson, he's very ethnic. Oh yeah, um, uh, wait, Robbie, you're you're playing a Native American. What? See, okay, now see you're her playing entire series on whitewashing. Yep, yep. But yeah, Henry Silva, you can't tell anything about him in this movie because he's just oh yes, Mister Mister McGlue. Yeah, yeah, it's it, pretty. He's just doing a ter- a stereo. He's not quite Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's, but no, he's but a still. Yeah. He's he's on that staircase looking up. Yeah. Yeah, and he's, you know, Max just said, not even of Asian descent, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. Janet Leigh, let's get to her. Oh, boy. Um, You know, it's funny. I never thought of this in Psycho because, you know, it's mostly it's so tense, but when you see her, she is just beautiful. Well, in Psycho, you see her in underwear, so I'm surprised you didn't (laughs) notice that. No, it's the face, those eyes. My goodness. She does have that slightly raspy voice, though. Yeah, I like that. she does smoke a lot in this film but of course as we know in the 60s smoking can solve everything yep as, so. uh, as always the answer is tobacco yep i'm going to agree with her and apparently yeah. they really i did some research on the book they actually kept to the plot of the book pretty closely although they left certain parts out which we're glad yeah, they did yeah. and her character literally feels thrown in and yeah. some of the things she says are literally bizarre they like, are very, she's trying to be like witty or clever and they're just so out of left field and the other problem thing is she's so instantly drawn to major marco frank sinatra yeah, yeah. all i could think was oh okay she's she's a shill she's a spy she's going in there to use him nope Maybe no. that was an intent at some point, but nothing. It's just like, no, hello, I instant, I instantly love you. And, oh, I had a fiancé, but I told him to take his ring back, and I'm going to marry Frank. Yeah, uh-huh. after spending five minutes with him. And bailing him out of jail. And getting him out of jail <laughs> for attacking an innocent Chinese, Korean, yeah. houseboy. Yeah, and let's so let's uh, let's sort of touch on that too. Um, there's a big scene. This is you know Max said this is yeah. when poor Frank breaks his little finger and you oh know, my karate bing, pinky. Bang. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that is the last we see of Henry Silva's character, and no explanation is made as to what happens to him. And he's obviously there to keep an eye on Shaw. Yeah, because he we shows up and says in be- the very beginning he's a collaborator. He's working with the evil commies to uh, right. capture the the. Uh, Americans. Yep. And uh, once he gets beaten up, we never see him again. And there's never made. Oh, I gave him the day off. Okay. But he was integral to the plot. And it was obvious that he got the job so he could keep an eye on him. But apparently, we'll find out later in the film. Nobody needs to keep an eye on him, which I want to talk about. I'm going to use the character's name because I can pronounce it better. Dr. Yen Lo. Okay. I'm going to say it's Kai Day, but okay. Kai Day. Okay. Kai Day. Sure. He's really good. He's so creepy, and he's trying, he's making jokes all through this, and some of them, like, (laughs) he's showing, okay, this guy is an expert in hypnosis and mind control. He works for the Pavlov Institute in Russia, which is a real place, by the way, the Pavlov Institute is real, and there, this, I cannot prove, this has never, I don't think it's been established, but there is suggestion that during the 50s and 60s, that Pavlov Institute was integral to working on mind control experiments, sort of like the CIA's MK Ultra. Oh, sorry about the drool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you about the MK Ultra connection because it yeah. definitely feels like there is one. Although at this point, I don't think anyone would have known about it. That, no, it hadn't gone public. That, that was yeah. much later. And again, this is an MK Ultra. The Russians, of course, they had the same pro kind of program. The Chinese did too. A lot of people did. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's especially this segment where he shows up and he's talking. They've they've uh, faked an accident for Shaw to be in, so they can yeah. basically give him a mental assassin checkup or something. Yeah, and there's a a Eastern Bloc psychiatrist there who's overseeing everything and in walks dr yen lo and the guy is like proud of his work like oh we've ha- we've set ourselves up in this um wayward home for alcoholics but you know this down below everything's as it seems and we actually even turned a profit this year oh a profit oh you're going to be too corrupted by the capitalists i've got to go to macy's because my wife has a list <laughs> see you bye but he makes you feel like Anything you say is instantly under scrutiny, but he is obviously above reproach and he can say whatever he wants. Yep, it's yep. a real, although in some of the things he says are like, really? Cause one of the things he says, ah, guilt and fear are uniquely American emotions. Yeah. That was but, real interesting. Uh, huh? <laughs> I like the weird Americanism jokes he does. Like when he is demonstrating to his audience, how well he's might, which by the way, I want to talk about that scene. Yeah. How well he's mind controlled them. And he said, yes, you notice I've let some of them smoke. And he asked one of them, how do you like the cigarette? Yeah, it's great. He turns and says, it's yak dung. Tastes good, like a cigarette should. (laughs) Which little shot at the Winston slogan. And at one point he says, if kill we must for a better New York, which is a direct shot at Con Edison's dig we must for a better New York. Oh, that one I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he he does a surprisingly good job, which is good and bad because of course he's playing the evil stereotype communist you know party member blah 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 but he is really quite haunting and quite frightening yeah and even the humor the fact that you think this is funny it's like he's making jokes and he's talking about oh fine we'll have him why don't we have him kill one of your staff it's like oh we can't we're understaffed oh fine well, have him kill. So he's just making jokes about, oh, yeah, here we're going to kill this guy or that guy. Just absolutely so, complete sociopath. Yeah. And he nails it. He does. He does do a very, very good job. Uh, we have a couple other people in here yeah. worthy of mention. Uh, John MacGyver, which people probably most know as a character actor. Oh, my God. I'm trying to think. He was. His voice is haunting me. I can't think of it. If you look at him, you'll go, oh, yeah, it's that guy. That He's guy. In there were a bunch of, of, oh, that guy. It was the same. Yeah. That was Thomas. Yeah. He plays Senator Jordan. And you've seen him in everything. And he's yeah. he's either always either really likable oh. or really prissy. He was in a Gilligan's Island episode looking for butterflies. Oh, Pussycat Swallowtail <laughs> Prof- guy. Professor Beasley. Yeah, yeah. that's who yeah. he was. <laughs> you, you know him. You know him. Leslie and- Parrish. Which we Did know, you know where course, she was from? From the giant spider invasion. No, that's not where I know her from. That, oh, where do you know her from? She's from an old Star Trek episode. She actually oh. played uh, the one with Apollo. Um, oh. Who mourns for Adonai. Yeah, so I recognized her from that. Okay. Um, and there's a few people here and there. But yeah. I would say, in general, we have a solid cast with a couple of real standouts. And yeah. I'm going to put Angela Lansbury right on top. I yeah, think, especially if you think you know her... She does a phenomenal she job. She nails it day. shut, yeah. Let's go to that dream sequence, because that's a major yeah. part of the story. The, that's a, the, it's fairly early on. It's fairly early on. It's where we're seeing, basically, through the magic of hypnosis, the soldiers think that they're sitting out a rainstorm in a hotel, and they've been stuck in this, I don't know, symposium or, or a talk about hydrangeas. And they're yeah. surrounded by matrons and women in flowered dresses, and they're talking about this incredibly boring floral stuff, when in fact they're sitting in an auditorium surrounded by evil communists from various parts of the world, and Shaw is being told to strangle one of them and then shoot another one in the head. And man, how about the point when he goes to shoot the young kid that they refer to as their mascot, who's actually probably not old enough to be in the army, but that's okay, they just let him in. And as he pulls the gun and aims it right between his eyes, the kid smiles at him like, oh, it's my friend, Shaw. Oh, so disturbing. And the way it's filmed, you're going, what the hell's going on? And then suddenly they cut and you're looking at the auditorium. And then they cut back, and you're looking at the matrons. Only one of them's like fondling a bayonet. And then they cut back, and some of the soldiers are sitting among the women. And did you catch when it's a Major Marco who sees this in a dream, but one of the other characters, a corporal, uh, yeah, Melvin, corporal Melvin. Yeah, yep. he sees it too, but when he sees it, all of the women are black. Right. Because he's black. 
Yeah. It, it's incredibly it's, effective. It's it is very really effective. disturbing. Because there's always, like, at first it starts off the way they remember it, except we see Dr. Yen Lo talking about it. And then they change details. When they go back and forth, it's never completely one thing or the other. And this is meant to, I think, represent the idea that the training is starting to unravel. So that there are holes through the... the what he know. calls the linkages. Yeah, the linkages, yeah. at least with two of the members, because we never hear from any of the other ones ever again. Yeah, we, um, and which is and, odd, because we know only two of the squad died. Right, and so the, basically once, once everyone gets killed. home, we just ignore everybody else. And that's yeah. not going to be the only thing that we ignore. But they, the way, I, usually dream sequences for me are poorly represented in films because they never are actually done the way they feel like in dreams yeah. and here we don't get something like inception where stuff's flipping around and stuff but the fact that people change in and out of parts was very dreamlike to me and it's very sinister and very chilling that's the word i use i definitely think that whoever decided i don't know if this is a frankenheimer decision or not but that was one of the most effective parts it, of the film it might have been he was uh, he's well known for using for his strange camera angles and his attempts to convey dreamlike states mm. yeah some um, of it though some of it's kind of confusing I, I also there's a sequence where Raymond is talking to Marco and he's talking about how I wasn't always unlovable and he talks about his first love Josie right it's Jocelyn Jordan the daughter of Senator Jordan who is his stepfather's political rival his antagonist and Oddly enough, I thought this was going to be terrible. I thought this was, you know, oh, this is going to completely derail the movie. It's so sweet, and it's very mm -hmm. touching. And it does give you a look into, you know, he just falls in love with her immediately. And you can kind of see why she's so sweet and so nice and such a yeah. contrast to everyone else in his life. Well, it really helps flesh out the Raymond Shaw character. Yeah. And he's incredibly faceted because on the one hand, he's... He had a father, I think, that he actually really loved. We don't get a lot of mention of him. He died. And who knows? You could suggest to me that Angela Lansbury's character killed him somehow, and yeah. I would believe it. Yep, I would totally believe she'd, she'd kill someone to get what she wanted. But he knows that he's been manipulated by her all of his life, and he yeah. can't quite get away from her. He, Even though he protests to her, and he calls yeah. her things, and he says he hates her, he, he still always He can never get away from back. her. It's so painful to watch. And oh. when he falls in love with Josie, his mother is like, no, yeah. no, we're not, you're not doing that, not her. And he makes her, I'm sorry, she makes him yeah. write this apparently horrible breakup letter before he wanders off to the army. And he's regretted it ever since. And this is why mm. Raymond Shaw is so unlikable, because the guy just has no feeling that he can give away anything of himself. And so he just ends up being this sort of uptight jerk, which comes across really well Very later well. on. But yeah. then that scene with Frank where they're, you know, Frank's like, I'm going to go and talk to this guy. And they start drinking, and it's the only time he can let go. And it yeah. is a really good sign. Now, that scene I really liked, even though it doesn't really affect the rest of the plot directly, like not the assassination part. It affects, the I think, the main character, although Frank probably thinks it's him. It isn't. It's really Shaw. Yeah. And we get a much better idea of why it's such a tragedy as to what happens to him eventually, spoiler, yeah. that, you know, it's a 60-year-old movie. Yeah. And I really like that part. The parts that we deal with where Frank has to be important and have a girlfriend add absolutely nothing to the film. No, it really doesn't do anything. Whereas, as you say, this adds to the, the ultimate tragedy of it all. Yeah. I also, you know, he, it turns out that, uh, Ray, that Shaw has a trigger mechanism implanted in right. his brain and it's a I have to say this is remarkably clever Frankenheimer whatever else he did and the guy who uh, Condon who wrote this did some research the scene when, in the auditorium when Yen Lo is talking about is citing articles on hypnotism those articles are real those mm. are actual things on hypnotism although they do not <laughs> say anywhere that you could make that hypnotism can make someone do anything that is abhorrent to them that is totally against right. their character you can fool them into doing it you can get someone to jump off a building by convincing them that they're out uh, walking in a meadow but you can't say kill yourself no one well, at least or kill as your far, friends as far as i know well, 
But and anyway, you continue to pay your dues yeah. in these super secret agent society. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd have found out. Yeah, and it's always you know, the key is like, why don't you relax with a nice game of solitaire? And he plays solitaire. That 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 phrase just makes him play the cards. It doesn't make him do anything else until he sees the Queen of Diamonds, and then whatever he's told afterwards, he does. Right. And I'm not quite sure. I like the technique. I like the scene where Frank gets his deck of TV magic cards, which is the first <laughs> thing I thought of, where they're all... Um, yeah, technically... Spoiler? Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. Well, <laughs> technically, isn't it that every other card in the deck yeah. was the Queen of Diamonds? the Ace of Hearts. The Ace of Hearts, or, well, when yeah. I bought one, it was a Seven of Clubs, but... Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a deck that's entirely Queen of Diamonds, and he starts... He gets him to play solitaire because he's begun to figure out... I don't know how he got the code phrase, by the way. He's never around when anyone says it. Yeah, I don't remember. I think it's just literally because he saw him do it in the bar. Yeah, yeah, but he but he uses exactly. That's a hell of a leap. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, and the more queens of diamonds, queen of diamonds is I don't know whatever the queens of diamonds, queens of diamonds show up. The the more control he gains, or at least the more access he gains to Shaw's memories, and Shaw tells him everything that's actually that actually happened. And to Frank's credit, he never at one point says, I'm in. Yeah, he does not. <laughs> and it's the things he's had to do. I mean, he's, his mother, as it turns out, his American, spoiler, he talks about his American handler, who is his mother. His mother is a communist agent. Angela Lansbury and- is a communist agent. She didn't know he was going to be the robo-assassin. Right. But and that was it, a point of contention. But it, yeah, and she said, you know, and she plans to get vengeance against the communists once every, every, the war is over. Right. But this is all a plot to get a puppet into the White House to give them unprecedented power over the country. Well, that'll never happen. Oh, no. Oh. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when, she, when we first find out about her, because all we know about her is we don't like her. She's manipulative. She's mean to him. We obviously are meant to feel sympathy for yeah. Raymond Shaw. The first time, and it's at a party. Yeah. The first time she just says, out of very softly, out of nowhere, why don't you play some some solitaire to pass the time? It was just like, like, oh, crap. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Yeah, it's a really great twist. Even if you know it's coming, it's still a great twist. It still works. Because the way it's played is so subtle. It's just this little, oh, you're feeling bad? Why don't you play some solitaire? <laughs> and then, of course, we get to see the real Lansbury. The <laughs> comes out, and, and things are, are evil. Um, we have our talking points I want to get to, because yeah. we're getting uh, towards yeah, we, the end here. So It's too bad. There's so much to talk about, but yeah. What is the conspiracy in this movie? Conspiracy is to create a robo-assassin, a hypnotized robo-assassin, to as part of a plot to place a communist puppet into a position of a presidential candidate and ultimately the president. Do we believe the conspiracy conspiracy? Do we believe the conspiracy as presented? Uh, it's it's interesting. It it requires you to take a number of leaps. First of all, that that level of brainwashing or mind control could happen. I don't know, maybe. And again, in the movie, I, the movie is good enough that I'm willing to allow that. I'm like, okay, I'll I'll suspend disbelief. Yeah, I, I think it's possible. I, I think it kind of works. I think it does within the context of the film, like yeah, you just said. Yeah. But the problem we have here is we have both a fully programmed, brainwashed assassin who luckily is capable of doing what they need him to do because it took three days. That's how long their brainwashing yeah. took, which is like, uh, but, really? Yeah. Mm. But he's also fully competent outside of that. Yeah. He's showing no signs at all. He's not having dreams. He's not twitchy. He's not. He's exactly the way he's always been. Uh, to her credit, her character's credit, uh, Angela Lansbury's credit, even when he mouths off to her, she doesn't flick the switch every second and say, yeah. stop calling me that. Stop being mean. She lets it go. Yeah. In the context of the film, yeah, like Max said, if you does. suspend your disbelief about brainwashing and what um, mesmerization can actually do, sure. But in real life, I, I think the mm. two things could not be as fully capable as they end up being. I will say Boy, the deprogramming scene yeah. with 
Sinatra is really cool because it is layer after layer. And then we don't know if it's effective. Frank is totally convinced. Yes. So At much first. so that he's like, he's fine. I'll let him go and we don't need to watch him. He's all right. Yeah, that I had a problem with. Really? This guy works for military <laughs> intelligence and he says, yeah, just go on. We're not going to put a tail on you. We're not going to put a tracker on you or bug you. No, no. Just, yeah. you, no. You're cool. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just give me um, a call when you get there. Okay? Beautiful. I do have a, a few other notes, just real quick yeah. ones. There was a remake of this film made oh, in yeah. 2004, which yeah. actually, at least uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, has a reasonable rating of 80%. It started Denzel Washington as Sinatra's character. Uh, Liv Schreiber as Shaw, which I think is a really interesting point, because, of yeah. course, eventually he's going to turn into uh, Sabretooth, but that's beside yeah. the point. Um, and Meryl Streep and Andrew Lansbury's part. Uh, I bet that that's worth watching. That could really work. Apparently, they do uh, change a lot more in this, and they make it up to date, which is fine. So, you know, if you're interested, maybe you want to see a more recent version, check that out. Although most of the reviews I said, I read, said that it did not really hold a candle to the yeah. original. So there yeah. you go for that. The other thing is that, in general, you usually see adaptations, and they wander off from the books a lot. And I looked at the plot of this book, and it's actually pretty much exactly as it is uh, in the movie, except for the incest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if... You know, you're looking for something that's that's taking its source material really seriously. This is apparently one of these things. Although, recently, very recently, somebody pointed out that there's at least two paragraphs in this book that are lifted directly from Robert Graves' I, Claudius. Oh, oops. <laughs> so, and uh, it was apparently well known that Condon was a fan of Graves. Uh, so take uh, that with a grain of okay. salt. But other than that... Yeah, might as well get to the wrap-up. The finish. So, Max. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've heard of this film. Oh, I've heard of it. For Every, years and years. Oh, yeah. When was the first time you saw it? Do you know? You know, it's funny. I don't really remember because there was so much in this movie. I'm pretty sure I saw it, and I saw it on videotape. I never saw mm -hmm. it. Of course, I didn't see it in the theater. <laughs> but I, do, I, I had forgotten so much about it. You're supposed to. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I don't see it once. Ticket. Yeah. How about oh, okay, you? so you, you don't even remember when? Nope, no idea. It's a long time ago, so until whenever that was, until now, yeah, this nope. is almost your first viewing of it. Pretty much. So what did you think? I think it's really good. I think it's amazing. Uh, I can see why. I, I'm not surprised it didn't go over as well, because it's a very dark movie for that period, and uh, it is was released like a year before the Kennedy assassination. It's a little awkward. Well, they couldn't know that. But. Yeah, but I can... Uh, but it's really imaginative. It's really well done. There are some flaws. Like most of the things, the re the the relationship with the women don't make any sense. It's like, hi, I I instantly forgive you for treating me like crap all those years ago, or hi, I love you. Okay. See, I was willing to give the character of jo Josie credit in that she understood about his mother. And probably figured, like, he's never spoken to me like this. Why would he write this? Oh, of course, I know why. Uh, so I'm that one I'm fine with. The Janet Leigh character literally makes no sense. And I even if she's in the book, it feels much more like, well, we have to pad out Frank's part and make him see we gotta it give some some, interesting. Frank needs someone to make out with. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. And, of course, they couldn't pick much better than Janet Leigh. So I mean, there you seriously. Go. Right. But uh, would you would you recommend this for a modern I would audience? I would absolutely recommend this. I wouldn't watch it if you're in a dark mood because this is a downer movie. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend this. What about you? I think I knew of this film. It's one of those films that you've heard of, and you know, as we pointed out, it was not viewable on TV for a really long time. And by the time it was, it, there were so many other things that had sort of superseded it. You just and I, as a teenager or 20-year-old, or I probably wouldn't have bothered. I think I watched this when I had COVID. Uh. Um, again, I had a <laughs> fever. So it's like, yeah, I think I watched this. But there were things that popped up. It's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So it's not, even though the mm. distance between viewings is much narrower than yours, it was kind of the same. Yeah, but what would you think? I think it has a lot of big holes in it, and that could be fixed with editing. Janet Leigh, I'm sorry. You do a fine job, but yeah. you're part... I, I can yeah. see your struggle. You don't. There's no point in you being uh, just forgetting about characters like we don't ever see uh, Henry Silva. He just 
we just let him go. Yep. We never see any of the members of the platoon again. I actually really liked James Edwards' character. He was Corporal Melvin. Uh, it was nice to see some black characters in a film like this, and he doesn't last long, but it looks like there's something more there. Uh, I just There's too much meandering for Frank. There's plot holes like, oh, I deprogrammed him. He's fine. Let's leave him alone. Yeah. Uh, but the ending... Uh, is really effective, and it's I did so not see tense. it coming. And I'm not going to spoil the very ending, yeah. but the very ending is, let's shall we say, not bright and happy, but it is really well done. There's a lot of good tension in this film. It's a bit long, although it's paced pretty well. Yeah. It's two hours and six minutes. Yeah, about two and hours and six really minutes, yeah. I didn't really feel that it was overly long or boring or anything. No, so, no. yeah, if you're a fan of conspiracy films, if you want to see or an amazing thrillers. performance, yeah, mm. but if you want to see an amazing performance by Jessica Fletcher before she's Jessica Fletcher, yeah, this is an Angela Lansbury you do not know. Lawrence yeah. Harvey makes me want to look him up and see more films with him in it. So, yeah, I would yeah. recommend okay. it. But this brings us uh, yeah. to the end of but, the this part of the show. Before, we have to go yeah, over that. Yeah, but hang oh. on. I do want to bring up something. As we're finished, we're finished. Oh, yes, not like yes. that. <laughs> yes, my lunch. Uh, <laughs> and that's uh, well. As we finish this conspiracy theory uh, series, conspiracy. Why do you, what do you think makes these movies so popular? Why do are do we? They're still going on. They've been going on for 60, 70 years. Why are they so popular? Why do people want to believe in these conspiracies? I think that in general, a lot of them are just that much more interesting than the real happenings. You know, it's like, what's more exciting? This whole CIA subplot and these foreign nationals and heck, the mob killing JFK or a guy with a gun? Yeah. Um, I've always thought it's because people want to believe there is something larger at work. They want to believe that, okay, the, there's something, it might be evil. But everything is being controlled. And so right. it's like, oh, like the shadow government or the New World Order or the Illuminati or the lizard people or the, I don't know, milkmen. <laughs> the milkmen? Yeah, they were a good band. Um, There's <laughs> no conspiracy about milkmen. Oh, yeah. That's what they want you to think. That's how good yeah, it is. Yeah, sure. People When's the last time you saw a milkman? <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> people okay. want really would like to believe that someone is in charge, that something is in control of their world and of the events, rather than... There is... It's interesting you bring up JFK as one of them. There is a theory out there, it's like a conspiracy theory about conspiracy theories. The idea that one of the reasons the whole JFK was killed by this huge conspiracy is so prevalent and doesn't go away... People have argued that the CIA was behind that or other aspects, the federal government, because they like, they want to promote the idea that no, one person cannot change history. One person can't do that. It takes a huge organization. It take, You don't have that kind of power. You need an organization to do it. And hmm. that is what a government will want you to believe. They don't, the power of the individual is uh, dangerous. I don't think that, I doubt the CIA was that clever to come up with something like that. But I think it's an interesting idea. And I just do think it's interesting that we're so, people are so willing to come to listen to some of the weird ass conspiracies that they do. Yeah. I, it also plays on fear. So yeah. it goes right yeah. to the heart of one of those strong emotions that we've got. So yes. I think there's that too. But I, I again, I think it's just it's a lot of times it's a lot more interesting. You know, the whole uh, uh, catcher in the rye and how that plays a huge part in it. It's like, no, it doesn't. And yeah. In fact, the people that they, uh, to be fair, Mark David Chapman, I think he had it in his hand or in his pocket when so, he killed yeah. Lennon. Yeah, I think so. But like when they were saying other people, oh, they had a copy too. You then look and it's like, well, they had it amongst hundreds of other books. Yeah, sure. Really? You, you, they had a copy of a book that is one of the most commonly assigned books in a high, in high school English. Oh no, yeah. conspiracy. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, but that's more Damn interesting. You, J.D. Than... Salinger. <laughs> it, I, that's more interesting, I think, yeah. than it is. We want to believe yeah. because it's more interesting to believe that than the potentially the truth it's the also razor. It, it's also more comforting to think that there's order to it even if it's evil even if it's destructive as opposed to yeah you know what things just happen sometimes that's really scary you know what else happens sometimes max our poll question could you yes. go over that again please i could but then they, they you they forgot come and it i just me. knew it <laughs> don't be silly scroll 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 <laughs> yeah 
Yes, our poll question for the new one is, what on-screen romantic couple do you think has the worst, most unconvincing chemistry of all? And you can answer this by emailing us at us at maxmikemovies.com, or you can go to our website, maxmikemovies.com. Coincidence? Conspiracy? No, no, that's where the email goes. Uh, And leave a comment. You can find us on the socially mediated conspiracy theories of the Facebook and the evil oh, Twitter. Now, yeah, are we going to stay with that? Yeah, we got to discuss that. But for now, I think we need to leave. Eh. Sorry, six list, uh, seven followers. Six, six. <laughs> we lost one. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think I one think, of the yeah. bots disappeared. Yeah, but uh, for the moment, we're on there. But mm. as this conspiracy theory fades back into the shadows where it has lived all this time we have a new series starting tell us about the new series bumpy no mike (laughs) yeah so we are going to be uh looking backwards mostly probably although there may be some more current stuff in there because the criteria for this film is we don't want any colors at all none well Well, excuse me black white gray well, sure. Yeah. We're going to be doing a series on black and white called Monochrome. I yep. think that's what's called. Yep. Monochrome. monochrome with an exclamation point, but I am not Good. going to spend the next eight weeks going, Monochrome! Good. And uh, we're going to be looking at films that really used the black and white subgenre, yeah. medium, whatever, of Have film you? to express some amazing things. Yep. Uh, great visions, great uses of film and cinematography. Yeah, and what are we um, starting off with? Well, it's not going to be Chico, and it's not going to be Groucho. What? Harpo? It's going to be the other one. Harpo? No, no, no. No, it's going to be the third man. Gummo? (laughs) Cleano. (laughs) (laughs) Spleeno. No, it is, in fact, the third man. Ah. A film, I think, from 1947 that, although everyone thinks it's directed by Orson Welles, actually, he's then a co-star of the film. And it takes place in war-torn Vienna, or right after World War II, and it was actually filmed there. But it is a, uh, spoiler, it is a favorite of mine, and I think it uses the black and white, I don't know what to call it, medium, medium, sure, the black and white medium to great uh, effect. So, if you want to skip the first two films in that series, (laughs) The First Man and The Second Man, you can join us next week for The Third Man. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.